The gates to the Rose Garden are now open. Welcome to my world. You are listening to Talk That Talk with Danielle Moneyham, a reflective conversation where I share the lessons I've learned on this journey called life. I don't have all the answers, but I do have plenty of questions. My name is Danielle Moneyham, and this is my love letter to the world, where I let my soul speak. Let's talk. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Rose Garden. I'm here today editing our episode, and I had to create a little bit of a disclaimer. When Heezy and I recorded this on Friday, July 17th, we were merely talking about and examining some situations that had happened. Little did we know that over the weekend, Three of four of the people that we talked about were going to have some updates for us. So on Friday, before we, when we recorded this, it was before August released entanglements. It was before Nick tweeted what some are describing as a cryptic or suicidal tweet. And it was before Kanye had his very first campaign rally in South Carolina. So... I present to you today the episode titled, We Spoke Too Soon. Yo, yo, yo. (laughs) Yo, I'm going to get a real um, radio name. Heezy, okay? Because I've been on the podcast so many times. You know this was supposed to be a sound check, but you sound like you just want me to keep going. So, up and we're in. What up? Hey. (laughs) See? This is why I need video because y'all can't see Heezy over here going ham. Let me tell you, I've been on these TikTok videos. Y'all can't tell me nothing, okay? Oh, TikTok. TikTok. Another thing that 2020 has brought our way. Welcome back to the Rose Garden, friends. I'm here with my homie Heezy one more time because it is still cancer season. So I had to invite my favorite cancer back into the Rose Garden one more time. You brought us into cancer season and I'm going to need you to take us out. Because you said July, you bet, you said July, don't come in here clowning. And what did July do? See, I don't think July clowned. I definitely think July was well. Um, very well behaved. What? Well behaved. I didn't. I don't know. I mean, so let's take a let's take a quick review of what has happened in 2020 in these first six months as we entered the seventh month. We had Kobe, rest in peace. We had COVID, rest in peace to all of the people who have lost their lives from COVID. We had because of COVID, all of the sports shut down. All of the schools were closed. Yeah. All of the major events were canceled. So that meant like all of the movie premieres, all of the filmings, all of that stuff stopped. Um, What else has happened? Oh, hello, George Floyd. Uh Being in the midst of the largest civil rights movement Uh in history. Uh What else Uh has happened in the, what else happened? Tiger King, that was pretty tragic. Tiger King. Carol Baskin is now out here making $199 a video. <gasps> what I'm trying to tell y'all is that Tiger King 
might actually be the best thing of 2020. Because Carol Baskin is getting checks, okay? Carol Baskin is getting checks. And I saw this most recent video she created yeah. in her bedroom with her husband singing happy birthday to somebody covering 50 Cent with a bottle of Bacardi. Which was very drank, which means Carol Baskin and husband already had the props on deck for the cool cats and kittens. For the cool cats and kittens going down in the bedroom of, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It was great, though. But it was also terrible, so. Ugh. Man, 2020... I think so much has happened. I can't even remember anymore. Because we, it, every day that we wake up, it's more and more unreal. Every day. Like, so we have to wear our face masks. You can't go outside without your face covered anymore. Well, um, according to the governor of Georgia, you can do what you want. And it's not for political pandemic reasons or whatever he calls them via Twitter. Lord have mercy. White supremacy lives stronger and stronger among us daily. Yes, it does. Because that is, that's what makes this so unreal and this response so unreal is that it's never been aligned from the beginning. So on one hand, you had, we have really strong leadership in Illinois that has been pushing for face coverings and safety, social distancing since the beginning. But on yeah. the other hand, you have the federal government who said that it's simply a flu and it's not a big deal. So they've right. been minimizing it. So every day when you wake up, you have to make a decision which world you want to live in. So I went to I went to a, um to a backyard gathering and my husband and I walked in and there were no masks. There was one person wearing a mask and this person was sitting in the back of the backyard, but everybody else and it was probably 30 to 50 people in this space mm -hmm. and it was a it was not like a super duper large mm -hmm. yard like there was enough room for everybody to sit and enjoy but we were very close mm -hmm. but we had the masks on so we looked crazy mm -hmm. and i think the interesting thing with masks is and i mean even with these backyard parties like people feel comfortable around the people that they already know and already have relationship with I think especially like health conscious comfortable around those people, which I think why socially we are starting to see like Facebook pictures with backyard parties, but certainly like neither social distancing nor like an abundance of masks because I feel like people just feel comfortable around each other so much that like they're not doing it. But then I also kind of raised just my personal comfort level. Like what is my comfort level? And I don't know. Like I said last time, I'm really, I'm really more strict about the social distancing part of it and the lack thereof. And I think just like the 80-20 push between the two kind of makes me un uneasy. But certainly there are people who I would even probably be around um, or that I even have been around that I feel health conscious, comfortable around that I was around without a mask to tell you the truth just because I feel like the masks are for the others, not for, like, each other even, right? And I think that just speaks, like, the whole pandemic as a whole and how we don't feel dis—I mean, how we feel distance, how we don't want the distance. Like, it just all speaks to culture um, completely. So as I've been seeing these pictures circulate, 
certainly I have nothing to say about what anybody else does on their property or with their family and their friends. And I can't understand it because I've been in the situation, but it just, it makes me conscious of the time that we're in. Um, and the rules I would choose to follow for myself if I go to a backyard party or something like that. But I haven't been to one anyway. I went to, we just had another one where we were outside. We were set, um, probably about seven of us, but we were socially distant. So people had their masks down. We had a house guest from out of state. Mm-hmm. Kept my mask on the whole time, uh, even in the house. Um, my other family came in from out of state and because family, you know, like you said, you feel you want to be around your family, right? but still kept my mask on even when we were in really close quarters. Even when I'm with my mom and sister, I keep my mask on, but it is because I have underlying conditions, one of which is asthma. Mm -hmm. So in a regular flu season. Mm-hmm. Me and flu don't get along. So even for me, in spite of what everybody else is choosing to do, I have to do it for myself. Absolutely. But it's hard because... Go ahead. No, I agree with that 100%. I really feel like... I mean, I do not agree with large-scale politicians from the president down to local older people or whomever else is down in local municipalities pushing widespread people to not do that. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. But I do recognize that from my friends and family who I follow on the internet, that there are those who aren't doing those things. And I recognize that there are those who really want to for their own reasons to protect those in their family who might be immunocompromised, et cetera. So I respect people's individual decisions when it comes to my circle of life. But when it comes to these big wigs telling people that it's pandemic politics and Governor Kemp suing Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and the city of Atlanta because she's trying to keep her city safe, that is beyond me. So So do you think that people think it's a hoax? Like what where people think that. One of my friends actually said that yesterday. Like, they think that President Trump brought or, like, knew about it and, like, concocted it and, like, supported it being here. And I don't believe those things. I do believe in both evolution, helped, even health evolution. I mean, we see that through history, right? We see climate change through history. Like, those are just facts of life. And so I don't think that it was, like, brought here by the government, but I don't necessarily believe that on a large-scale protection from our government we're getting that but now nah, i mean people definitely like you know but but the memes are going around girl and you know whatever the memes say the memes mean so if the meme has said it then the internet now believes it so all i have to do is go in my gift creator make a meme circulate it and that's what it is so i mean who knows at this point only the lord knows at this point because again 2020 Everything is upside down. Right is left, left is right. We don't know where. It's just every day. It's That's another level of the Twilight Zone. Cancers have always been great. <laughs> Except cancers have always been great. The cilantro of the Zodiac, as I lovingly call you all. So let's start to talk about some of the stuff that has happened in 2020. 
Do all okay, so let me let, let me ask this first question. Do black lives matter? Yes. In 2020 and forever. But why in 2020 do why are we saying black lives matter specifically at this moment in time? I mean, because we keep getting killed by the police as if we don't matter, right? The Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself was really built out of mass police brutality. Yes, Black Lives Matter. I mean, that's my soapbox. I'm trying to stop myself. (laughs) I mean, because we're about to get into it because, well, number one, going back to hoaxes, number 45 just answered the question and said that white people get killed by the police, too. That was his response. Did you see that interview? I did not. And I mean, really, until I'm I'm about to tell my tea, y'all. Until 2020, I didn't even listen to what he was talking about. Like, outside of what y'all would tell me he would say, I didn't even listen to it. Because it was just like, y'all going to tell me that's fine. I don't need to hear it twice. I don't need to hear from him. I don't want to hear his voice. Like, and I barely listen to it now, but no, I haven't heard it. So what he said? So someone, he was giving an interview and they asked him about, um, like, what is his response to police killing black people in America? And he said police kill white people, too. And that was the end of the statement. Well, so I asked you, do black lives matter? And why we are saying black lives matter? Because now I'm going to ask you, do all black lives matter? Absolutely. So let's talk about, okay, do you want me to give you this quote first or no? The Donald Trump quote? No, mm-hmm. this he, he gonna worry me. <laughs> well, I mean, if we gonna eventually get down to some ingrained um, white supremacy culture, especially as we about to talk about this next topic, do all black lives matter? Well, my governor said black trans lives matter. Yes, our governor did say that. So... Let's talk about homophobia and transphobia in the black community. We say black lives matter. You said it was rooted in a response to police brutality. Number 45 says it ain't about police brutality. Police kill white people too. Police aren't supposed to kill anyone. Somehow, I for, I, I wonder do people forget that that's not part of like the initial job description duties? You know, like y'all not supposed, we got executioners that kill people. No, that is actually a part of their job duties. That's to not kill? The ones that are on the websites, but police are slave overseers. When the slaves get out of line, you kill them. That's how it works. You punish them and you kill them. Mm. So that's actually right a part of their job. That's why that was his only response. Because he can only juxtapose black and white, not right and wrong. Like, well, it's happening to us too, so... Like, that washes my hands of, of the morality behind why are we being killed by police or each other? Yet you want to send National Guards to Chicago in droves to stop what you consider black-on-black crime, but you have no legitimate response for people who are supposed to be protecting the community, killing the community? Like, mm. yeah, he gonna worry me, girl. He worry, I'm worried. I'm worried. So why is homophobia in the black community worrying you right now at this moment in 2020? It, it didn't start in 2020 for me. I can tell you that for sure. It started when I was a child. Um, it started in church as a child. It started in family circles when I would hear men be called sissies as a child and fags and by my elders. It started 
<laughs> for me, when I would see men dress up as women on the internet in jokes, but then when men who are now transsexual women live their life, you mock that. And just and that dichotomy, right? Of like, women are funny until like, it makes you uncomfortable that a man, a, a, a genitalia man, if you will, for lack of a better description, chooses to live her life as a woman. That makes you uncomfortable, but Eastside Ivo is funny, and Quake is funny, and all those people are funny to you. Y'all like their posts all the time. But then y'all spread transphobic remarks like, oh, that's how you get killed on the internet. Y'all the same dudes who stay on their pages liking, liking all that stuff, right? And that's clearly like cross-dressing at the very least. I mean, it wouldn't even be considered drag because they're not doing it really out of that community. I don't know. It's just that whole the, the, the thought that black people even have to live in just the dichotomy of male and female or man and woman or, you know, just just that. Like that binary was taught to me in the church, honestly. And so I think that that is obviously a huge player in transphobia since the black church does play a huge role in black culture. Uh, and it's just time for us to really break away from that as a whole. Homophobia and transphobia alike. Homophobia and transphobia alike. And one thing that people can do is start to educate themselves because it's so much that if you grew up with some of those influences, like you mentioned, especially the church, you have to reprogram yourself and unlearn a lot of things that you've learned, including but not limited to the use of language. Absolutely. Language is really important. And there are people who are well-meaning that can do things and say things that are incredibly hurtful and harmful and not even recognize the power of their words. Because one thing that they said growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You was a motherfucking liar. Yeah. Whoever said that shit, like you're a liar and a bully. Yeah. Like the words can hurt you, especially if they are coming from a source that you trust. Especially yes. if they are coming from a source that's supposed to be an authority that's supposed to protect you. Yeah. So, no. I agree with you. Black lives matter. All black lives matter. And we have to intentionally work on addressing those phobias that exist within our community. Because I'm rooting for everybody black. Everybody. And another thing we have to deprogram is even our thoughts of self our thoughts of how we have to present to the world, how we have to look to the world, how we have to be for the world. I took ownership (laughs) for who I decided to be at the top of really my 33rd birthday in a very different way. And I decided to show up in a very different way because I recognize that I have to be true to Heather. And that's really why I have really always been on this soapbox about are you okay with who you lay down with at night being yourself? And even more over when it comes to, I mean, listen, I am born and bred in the church, right? So I've seen all of the stigmas from the quote-unquote gay choir director to the quote-unquote domestic violence abusing pastor who's also a hoe. Like, I done seen it all. 
so I recognize that a lot, <laughs> even down to the pedophilic pastor, I didn't seen that too. So I've seen the spectrum of, especially men in the church, where the patriarchy tells them, I have to like women, I have to get married young, I have to have a bunch of kids before I'm ready, before I know who I am in so many spaces that now you have confused yourself so much to not even be true to yourself. How can you lead your flock to be true to themselves? How can you lead your flock to hear the call of God on their lives when you done only lived according to the call of man your whole life? And I think a lot of that is really ingrained in black church culture. And I really speak on that from my position just in life, but really because it has influenced me. And I think that black church culture really influences just how we treat each other relative to homophobia and transphobia. You know, people are so quick to throw the story of Sodom and Gomorrah at folks. And the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not even about homo- homosexuality. Is it it's about how you treat strangers? Well, it's really, a, yeah, in, in a way you could get, you could glean that from when the angels came to lot, but it's also about rape and power. Oh, like, yes. God was upset with Sodom and Gomorrah because of how they were treating each other. Not because they were gay, and it really wasn't about male or female in that. It was really just about who I, whoever I could take sexually in that story. But we just throw stuff at people, and we're not even churched enough to have even read the story to know what even, like, what even really happened. We just hear it in passing, and it becomes a part of our culture. And now we hate each other. We hate our cousin. We hate our brother. We hate the pastor that's gay. We hate everybody else because of what we have constructed is right and wrong. And so I really think that the thoughts about homophobia, transphobia, is just about recognizing that, like, you can be true to yourself and however that presents, however fluid that is, and someone else can also be true to themselves, however fluid that is. And, like, both of y'all can exist in the world and have a pretty good life. Like, you don't need to control what they got going on. They don't need to control what you got going on. I saw a great video on TikTok yesterday. A trans woman said, it's funny how straight men always worried about trans women disclosing that they're trans, but y'all not going to have sex with us, so why do we need to disclose to y'all? Which makes perfect sense to me because it just seems like that's just, the cycle of transphobia. You have to disclose that you're trans and all that stuff when you don't have to tell anybody but the person that you are being intimate with. That is their business and y'all business together and that's it. But everybody want, really want to be in everybody else's business, household, family, bank account, like want to control everybody, what everybody else got going on so much that we have now created a hate for each other. And I mean, I could keep going about that thought because that that thought really sits very deeply within me because it sickens me that we keep each other so in bondage based on our constructions of life. We keep ourselves in bondage. We keep ourselves in entanglements. Come on. Come on. These nuanced constructions of how life should look. So, I that's mean, the end of the box about that. But if you want me to get back on that, I, I got more gas. <laughs> I got more gas. Well, because you brought up some amazing and excellent points. One, like, 
and I'm not going to get on my sexpert talk, but the one thing that I will say is about the importance of the intimacy and the bond and the trust that you have between you, you and your partner. And if you are not my partner, I don't have to tell you anything about me. I don't, I don't owe you that. If you are not my partner, I don't owe you any explanation. Oh, everyone, everything. The internet makes people think that we owe each, I don't owe. Well. Let me tell you something. If you don't have my personal number and I don't text you four or five days out of the week, you don't know nothing that's going on in in Heather's life because it's not your business. And people really need to stay in their house, in their business. But we're just so concerned about what other folks got going on. We want to control them so bad that now we spew a hate about them. Like, get over yourself, man. We want to control other people so bad and we feel so entitled to know what's happening with them and what decisions that they making and having an opinion and a thought and influence on it. But, you know, they say a new phrase that I've heard. I don't know if it's new. Mind the business that pays you. Is that new? That's new. I've definitely heard that before. You know, like I'm enjoying this phrase. But as we as we partner all of those things together, I find myself with a Smith family sandwich. As we say, mind the business who, that pays you. And the only thing that I owe, the only person I owe an explanation to is my partner. So we have this public figure of a couple. Uh-huh. And now we have this beautiful entanglement. First uh-huh. of all, can we define entanglement? Because niggas was big mad. Niggas was really big mad when Will was like, relationship and she said an entanglement and then he was like entanglement like can we define entanglement i saw on the internet that an entanglement is a complicated relationship so or compromising or or compromising which maybe her relationship was more complicated than compromising based on my discernment of her red table talk but nonetheless by definition it's the correct word I don't care what Jada Pinkett Smith do. Arrest Breonna Taylor Killers. Period. I see what I said. Shout out to the mayor. I am am entertained by the Smith triad at the very most. Yes, I I appreciated this little sexy summer scandal. Why July about August? You know, it was just, you said the memes, like, the memes were beautiful. The remix was beautiful. The whole definite, talking about entanglements was beautiful. But was Jada wrong for defining what it was? We said no, right? I care what Jada says. <laughs> I mean, arrest Breonna Taylor Killer. So, and the art of language. So, specifically to give it more context, because absolutely arrest the murderers of <laughs> Breonna Taylor. But so when we talk about healing, and when we talk about like who you allow in your circle, and when we talk about ecosystems and blah blah blah, all that good beautiful stuff. Jada, she presents as, you know, she said they in the interview, they said that August was sick and they were helping him originally. So she presents as, no. I don't hate a Beyonce at all because I've never watched Red Table Talk. So <gasps> Neither have I. I don't know how she presents, to be extremely honest with you. Well, based on what I've seen, like she, and even, <laughs> even with the language, like the use of entanglement and me having to go and Google, like, well, what is entanglement? And even listening to how she talks, she mm-hmm. speaks like someone who 
can help you think through and organize your thoughts and try to unpack some of your feelings and help you figure out how to cope in a certain space. That is how she talks. I thought she talked around the bush. And that's why people are, and that's why some people are saying, like, she is absolutely wrong. And that was the use of the language use of language talking about entanglement girl a relationship was a relationship it was inappropriate no matter how you try to spin it that's how some people feel but i just felt like it really was a compromising situation but i appreciated the summer scandal it was compromising because based on the red table talk that i heard and discerned they were broken up and will kept saying he was so done with her and she got into a relationship with another person which is what you do after a breakup and it was with August Alcina, and they were very serious. And then she decided to get back with Will, and her and August broke up and haven't talked since then. That's what I heard. So I don't think that was that was compromising because it seems like even Will knew. And when I talk about intimacy, especially within ecosystems of like family, like what me and my partner got going on is between me and my partner. If we decide to both get a boot on the side, that's me and my partner business. If me and my partner are separated and we have both, like like Baxter, Baxter and Heather. Entanglement! Already separated. And so Baxter has moved on with his life. And in my, in my thoughts of relationships, that's fine because we have already had that conversation. You know? Now, we still messing around and, and, and it is really an entanglement and I'm entangling other people. That's the trifling part. But from what I heard, her and August got into that with Will's knowledge and because Will was done. And I also feel like Jada was very hurt by Will and talked around her own healing, if you will, because she used words like entanglement. I mean, I don't need Jada to tell me nothing at her red table about what happened in her relationship because I think that it's reasonable that all these years Will and Jada have kept it in their house because it's not our business. And then the only person I gotta like I took vows with is the Lord and Will. So like I gotta tell y'all really nothing. I mean, maybe she wants to clear the air, which is also her business. I mean, I, yeah, it's just also convoluted. But I mean, at the end of the day, what I saw was that they broke up. She got with August, and you know. August told his truth even about how he felt, similar to how I even felt about Robin and Whitney. Like, Robin <laughs> told her truth about her own life experience. I can't take that away from August. I can't take that away from Robin. Do I think that August should have said something? I feel like August always popping up and saying something. So I kind of feel like August like a little messy in his spirit. But beyond that, like, I don't really care about August Alcina either. Like, these are not things I genuinely, especially in this moment, but I mean, it's entertainment at the most. So, whoever shot Megan, um, I'm out for you. Damn, now that's my problem. Hello, somebody. Who shot Megan? In the foot, and you could see the blood. That It was so sad in the video. I just watched the video earlier. I don't know which person in the video was Megan. The person in like that was blurred out. I don't think that was Megan. That was the person laying down, right? The person that was laying down. The video I just saw on TMZ, the first person, I think that was Tory Lanez. The second person to get out the car, the first woman, who I believe was bleeding, 
I don't think that was Megan. The, I think the third person whose voice you heard, I think that was Megan. See, but I, I didn't see the blood there, but I mean, I can't tell you what happened. But I only saw the video where somebody got out and it was wearing like a brown bodycon fitted dress, and they were stepping. They were, their hands were up. It was they got out of the right side of the passenger yeah, seat. I don't think that was Megan though. Okay. I think Megan got out in a black suit because in the video on TMZ, you could hear her voice and she like, I'm on the ground, no one else in the car. But I mean, nonetheless, protect Megan at all costs, protect Ruth Bader Ginsburg at all costs, protect Cecily Tyson at all costs. But I mean, we don't necessarily got to protect August. (laughs) (laughs) Megan got that under control apparently because she was helping him with his healing. So. Wait a minute. I just want to go back to Robin for a minute because you bring up an amazing and excellent point, mm-hmm. Robin, because mm-hmm. that one kind of kind of slid by. Mm-hmm. In her book, did she confirm her relationship with Whitney? I've never read her book. Didn't even know she had one. But um, in the interviews, yeah, yeah, it's a summer camp, and then they be, they stay lifelong friends. But I mean, I can't surmise that that means that they stopped being intimate in any way. But Whitney was also out of the church. And, you know, her mother was a deaconess or something to that end. So, I mean, that's reasonable that she had to hide her, her true love because she can't live her truth. And they go homophobia again. And now she got to live this false life her whole life. And then we see that spinoff. I mean... Okay, so we got... Because at this point, I'm just curious, as we're about to talk about, like, an examination of four black men in America and them mm-hmm. living in their truth. One reason I love Tiger King, to go back to Tiger King, Joe mm-hmm. Exotic was a free white man living his American dream. Yeah. Joe Exotic was the epitome of a free white man living his American dream. He had his land, his guns, yep. his animals, yep. his... His spouses. He was a poly relationship too. He had two husbands. Yes, that's what I say. His spouses, like he, he was, he would be goals if it were if he were not for Joe Exotic being Joe Exotic. <laughs> All of that to say, looking at these four black men, these four free black men, Joe Exotic America exists. Now let's look at the America for. Let's start with August. Because it's a great way to stay in the summer. August Alcina getting out here telling his business, which in response, the Smith family, where I had that nice Smith sandwich, they had to come out. Jada had to bring herself to the red table. Will had to sit play, being Jada in the situation. And they had to address something that August said in an interview. Right. Was August wrong for speaking his truth in the first place? Nope. Let me fix that question. Did August have to name the Smiths in speaking his truth? I can do with my truth what I want. That's my belief. Mm-hmm. Now, in my in Heather's truth, though, I, I'm not going to out other people. But when you are engaged in a serious and it seems like multi-year relationship with somebody, if they say your name, that's the L you take, sis. So I don't know what you think. So I just have questions like, why now? 
why did you have to like why right now which as a person who works through his album coming out because his album coming out you know like you got to just look at all the factors but also could you have shared this same truth without disclosing the details of your intimate relationship and really that to me is what my issue with august is about could you have shared your truth and did you have to name names in the sharing of your truth? But didn't Angela Yee specifically ask August, what about your relationship with Jada? That's how it started. I saw that interview and I don't even remember. I don't remember the specific question that she asked. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in reference to the interview, I believe she brought it up. So perhaps that's how it got started with the name naming. But and so I you mean- took the interview, though. Like you knew you, so even if somebody, even if I came on an interview on a show and someone said like, you know, let's talk about some of your past situations and how you grew. I don't have to name names. And even if somebody was like, well, what about X, Y, Z? I don't have to disclose details of that relationship. So in a, in a relationship, if you and a person are no longer together and it ended in a bad way or in a good way, however it ended, whether it was Robin and Whitney or whether it was August and Jada. Afterwards, after you've gone through and you've healed, now when you are ready to turn the next page and into the next chapter of your life, do you get to disclose all of the details or any of the details that were shared between you and your partner or does that intimacy still stand through the test of time? My personal rule is that the intimacy still stands for the test of time. I would never, even with the public relationships I've had, I would share the intimate details with those outside of my my ecosystem, if you will. I mean, yeah, I know that from past Breakfast Club interviews, Angela and August are close, and she probably was already privy to information, and they already discussed what was going to be discussed in their interview, which is how she got to name the name and he got to respond 100%. That's probably very probable. But I can't speak for everyone else's journey. I just know for me and, and, and people I choose to mess with, they understand what, what, what it is too. Like I would hope that, that that will stand with them too. But you know, people are fickle. And when they are going through whatever they're going through in whatever time they're in, they may respond any type of way. And it's difficult to um, say if they should or not. There are intimate details of many relationships I would never disclose because they don't have nothing to do with nobody but me and the person I'm in relationship with. But if that person chose to disclose, would I even feel the need to, to respond? Um, especially if I'm not in a relationship with them anymore and I haven't spoken to them in years and they got a new album coming out. Like, Now that's the entanglement, okay? The whole situation is this is an entanglement. This is what happens when you see a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. That's communication, I guess, at its core. Yeah, to me, that is what, that's what makes an entanglement an entanglement over like a relationship. Yeah. You know, like this this is why it's it's not just a simple relationship. Yeah. But I will say, so having said all of that, recently Chad Johnson responded to a tweet when somebody asked him how does he stay so happy? And he said right. like he did you see that tweet? 
I did not see it, but I did have a conversation with someone about it. And I saw, because we were watching Evelyn Lozada's response. Yes. I was watching that. Then I read his tweet that basically was the response saying, you know, I regret what I did, but I'm just really trying to, like, be at a better place. So I'd never do that again, which is what you're supposed to do in life. Mm-hmm. So for her to even, like, go there, like, she's mad that he's healed and she isn't, which is reasonable, right? To some degree, like, I can get why she's in that space. But also, like, girl, but, like, this Instagram video probably ain't gonna get you that either, sis. So, like, if you're really talking about real healing, like, you only here kind of for, like, Instagram therapy, and, like, that's not, I don't think that's gonna get you to your to your desire end. I mean, but arrest Brianna Taylor Killers. Absolutely. The, all the time. But that's just really interesting to see, like, the responses and what, how much one should disclose about their origin story and their healing journey. Cause to me, that's what all of this is about. Like when people are having opinions on what's happening in other people's relationships as this distraction, this sexy summer distraction, staying along with that sexy summer distraction, minding the business that pays you Will Smith, bad marriage for life. Terrible, terrible joke. Terrible joke. And I said, Mike Lowry would never. And I said, I feel like they have to go ahead and retire. Mike Lowry would never. And I feel like they just need to retire the franchise because he can't come back and say that ever again. I don't, I think that was a terrible joke because it wasn't funny. Like, bad joke for life. Like, like y'all rehearsed that before we got here and like y'all had like, ha 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 that out. But like, that was, that was just a bad, like, why was that funny? Like, why bad boys, bad marriage? Like, why was, why was that just supposed? Like, that's not how that even, that's not even like the right, like, Whatever. And I'm insulted by the use of the fist bump. I'm a, I am insulted by the use of the fist bump. But what I will say, what I took from that, one of the many things I took is that through all the bullshit, the contract of marriage is the contract of marriage. And that's what they are committing to. Yeah. So for me, seeing Will Smith sit there in that moment, like you said early on when we started this conversation, the memes and the gifs and all the internet talk is always amusing but it was really really interesting to see this black man who made the vow to love his wife through anything have to really sit there and love his wife through through anything and have to do it publicly when he's built his career as a public figure and it's almost like do you believe that will has not had his I absolutely believe that if that's something that they agreed to since, quote, I was done with y'all ass. He also, and Rosé pointed this out. Shout out to Rosé. He pointed out that Will used a lot of language that gave him the power during the interview. And I did not. And his body language, his eyebrow raising, even when Jada was like, um, I mean, Will was like, yeah, I'm going to get you back. And Jada was like, I think we're even. Like, where would that even sit from? How does he get to a place where we're even at this moment? And to, and even Will be like, yeah, I'm going to get you back. Even Will say, it was a relationship. I mean, low-key, I kind of feel like Jada was kind of trying to downplay it a little bit. Like, what she had with August that wasn't as blossoming as it probably was at some point, even if it was doing her hurt. But, man, Will sat there and cocked back 
in, in the judge's chair at Jada. And when you talk about walking in marriage and walking in, in, in a vow, I mean, was that even indicative of that? Or was it really like bad marriage for life? Because like we really still on these two opposing sides of this table in, in many ways, maybe even emotionally, to the point where like we can just like coexist and like just like make it work, which is fine. Many do that. Like <laughs> I'm very aware of that. But it didn't feel like Will was a victim in any way. It feels like Jada had a relationship that was very much valid and Will was just like interviewing her and kind of like poking fun at it a little bit. That's how I see it. Yeah, Rose, I, I, <laughs> Rose just said that Will was talking with a lot of um, power, like even the whole like, cause I was done with your ass. I was done with your right. ass. Listen, brother, I don't know how many times you think you get to tell me that you're done with my ass, that I'm gonna still be sitting here chasing up after you. So like, when I put all of the little pieces of the puzzle together from my socially distanced internet-based <laughs> uh, sleuthing station. It seemed like Will and Jada, at whatever point in their marriage, decided that they were still married, but they would be able to carry on whatever relationships that they wanted to carry on. Jada just wanted to feel good and found herself closer, growing closer and closer to August, who's just my son's friend. But we're going to come with me to girls trip and come with me here and come with me here. Until it gets to the point where, and also, I do think that August, because of his respect for the family, probably did have a conversation with Will where he was like, so, you know, I really am interested in Jada. We find ourselves close. And Will was like, you know, whatever. Do what y'all do. And then walked away because he was in his own shit, minding his own business. So. Entanglement, probably. He wasn't entangled, though. He wasn't entangled because he's been able to sit his ass and cock his ass back in the chair at the red table and say this shit. And we ain't had no people coming up out of the woodworks. So Jada got entangled because when August thought we going to be together forever, never felt a love like this before. Thought he was about to be with Jada forever. And the raid begins, honey. You know, and then Jada was like, well, actually me and Will are going to work this out. August was heartbroke sitting up in my room yeah you know what i'm saying so he was heartbroken he went on a journey of exploration and self-love stopped having sex started really meditating get himself healthy and now you're back and now because you've gone through all of these things it's two three years later and you like so yeah we was fucking and will gave me his blessing and da 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 and because they tried to see and this the other part it was like the why now? Did they try to besmirch his name and now he's just trying to set the record straight? When did that happen? That was one of the things where it was like, well, why now? Why are you saying this now? And yeah. I recall, I remember reading some comment like, well, they are very influential in the industry and they were trying to like discredit him or something like that. So he had to come oh. out or seen August in years. I thought August was done for. I thought he was like, I thought we were going to be, like, I had thought about August recently too. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what's going on with August Alcina. Maybe about two months ago and then here he comes. And I was like, oh, that's what's going on. He was healing. Oh, crazy August. Now, if August, now, is August the cancer? Because he has to be. No. 
August is a Virgo, as is Jada. So, yeah. It is clearly to Virgos. My best friend is a Virgo, but I don't really know what their characteristics are. Does this, is this like him? So they keep screenshots and they have receipts for everything and they're not going to tell you some shit that they cannot back up with proof. Stubborn as hell. So that's why when he said it and I saw his interview, I was like, oh, he's telling the truth. Like whatever he said she did, she did that shit. So she couldn't come out and be like, we never had sex. Remember, well, originally the first public response was it like that is untrue. And then Jada was like, I see there's some healing that needs to still happen. I'm going to bring myself to the red table. Also, she initially said it wasn't true. But that's why Will and Jada started the Red Table interview saying, like, there were there were statements being made that neither one of us made. They uh, the, That's not true. So, okay, we got August. We got Will. Let's see it. Hot and piping, honey, and ready for the children to take a sip. Well, take a sip of this Nick Cannon tea. Mariah's baby's daddy. Cannon at all costs. So I am a fan of Nick Cannon. Um, I know he has his rap career, but I always was an admirer of his business skills. His rap career. You know, I always love a rapper. You know, I can't sing that song. Nick Cannon have. I know, because unfortunately, that's the only song I know, and I can't sing it anymore. Oh, because you're not a gigolo. You're a one-woman man. No, because I muted Kale's. Or... I don't know how that was supposed to work. Because I muted that fool, Kells. Oh, yeah, because Kells is on that song. Yes. Not, oh, sorry. See, that's how long his messes I listened to Nick Cannon. See? I wouldn't even have known that R. Kelly was on the song. Yeah, see? That is his voice. You're 100% right. See? Uh, I had to go through my mental Rolodex because I remember I was at a... Uh, Nick Cannon in your playlist. Let's talk. There. I don't have Nick Cannon on my playlist, but I do have Will Smith. I got Wild Wild West. That's one of my favorite songs ever. I love that song. <laughs> I love, I turn up to Wild Wild West, okay? Okay. Got Cisco on the chorus. You can't go wrong with that song. Okay, Cisco. Nick Cannon. Was he wrong? So Nick Cannon um, had a podcast. And as a podcaster, let me say... I understand what it's like to create a space to have dialogue. You can't have these conversations everywhere where you want to like pick somebody's brain and ask questions, pontificate, figure out where to go from here. So I understand the podcast being a safe space. Nick Cannon made some comments that have now been removed and that have, have been deemed anti-Semitic. Okay. No? From the top. Okay. What I have learned both in my own personal experience and in watching others is that nothing you put on the internet is a safe space. Mm. Podcasts are actually not safe space, which is why, I mean, even in this space, like even as an influencer in my own space, I have to be mindful of how I present because I recognize that like people take what they see and hear and they can run with it. I mean, you have to, like, over-explain sometimes to even get you into more trouble. So, like, these are not safe spaces. Really, your therapist is probably a safe space. Your spouse, your best friend, your mom, like, your aunt, your mentor, those are probably safe spaces. But, like, spaces that can be recorded, duplicated, and can be uh, presented in the court of public opinion are not safe spaces. Let me insert that saying I should definitely know that as a Trinitarian because we saw what they did. 
to Dr. Jeremiah Wright. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, continue, please. Yeah, the pulpit isn't even a safe space because that's, that, that information can be duplicated. And, and so, stripped. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you have you have to be very mindful of what you put out there. With that being said, the only thing about what Nicholas Bartholomew Cannon said that I am aware of is a a excerpt I saw, uh, and I think we both saw this in an article um, that basically said that white people are barbaric ultimately, and blacks are the real Hebrews. That seemed like the the main gist of the of the conversation. I hate white supremacy and I hate white nationalism and I hate white thought of, of caste systems and I hate uh, white people thinking they're better than black people or are entitled to stuff that other people got. And truthfully, I'm not enough of a historian nor an archaeologist to know if the theory about white people going into the Caucasus Mountains and becoming barbarians is true because I haven't even researched that even much myself. Uh, so I can recognize why white people would be offended by that statement, but black people are the true Hebrew Israelites. And that is also my belief. I do believe that Jesus was a Jew and he was black. Jesus lived in Egypt. <laughs> the ancient Near East is what we now believe to be Palestine and Israel. Ain't no white folks coming out of there. Right? So when we really talk about even biblical, theological, archaeological proof, like y'all weren't even over there. But also recognizing like Judaism is a religion which any race of people can ascribe to, both black, white. Now, like the Muslim culture, Judaism has been associated with a race, right? We assume Muslim uh, uh, middle or what we call Middle Eastern, Western Eastern people. We assume Muslim, right? When we see black Muslims, we like, what? Right? Because we already assume a race with a nation, with a religion. So I can recognize why even a white culture would be offended and believe that's anti-Semitic. I did not hear the whole podcast. I don't know what he said that was even that even said Jew or or was anti-Semitic. But I do believe if you're talking about white people being barbaric, like they're gonna get offended. That's reasonable. I mean, just like you can't talk about black folks being gorillas, like that's reasonable, right? But like I do believe that black folks lived in the ancient Near East and that Jesus was a black man <laughs> and that that white supremacy has leaked and Eurocentric supremacy has leaked into our culture to believe that only white people came out of our biblical stories. And that's just not true. Sorry. For me, with Nick Cannon's comments, and not that, because again, I talked about this earlier, about the use of language, like you can be well-intentioned and still be incredibly harmful. Yes. I don't think that he thought he was going to, he clearly did not anticipate the response that he got. But sure. for me, what I saw was he thought he was sharing knowledge and information to people that they had not received before, and he thought it was factual. Sure. And when I always think about the role of education and how white supremacy culture has shaped the narratives and the history that we receive, I can understand how someone who's grown up in a system that we know is false or based on falsehoods can be attracted to a text that at least tries to provide some sort of context and understanding. And Absolutely. so for me, it's like if this is an but that's, that's the 
quote, educated. Like if this is a teachable moment, then make it a teachable moment. But don't label it as anti-Semitic when we know there are people in positions of power who really are racist and really have spread anti-Semitism and hateful rhetoric and language. I don't think that Nick Cannon is one of those people. Yeah, I definitely think Nick Cannon believed he had a platform, like you said, to educate masses of people and really empower black people, which even when he wearing these turbans, which are terrible, terrible turbans, teeth are terrible. I mean, his goal is to educate, but sometimes, yeah, like you say, one way you're not educated beyond Wikipedia, which, I mean, I've changed Wikipedia pages before, so, I mean, those are not what one would consider credible resources, or what we... When we just talked about um, listening to only, like, certain YouTube scholars and when we talk about, you know, only looking at memes and when we haven't done really the historical and, and really gone into the classrooms or, or, the, or the spaces. And I mean, I can't say that Nick had me because Nick do got a degree from Howard, so I can't speak on what Nick has done. He's a very well-educated man. I know I haven't done those things for those subjects. And so... It can be harmful on those platforms, especially when you're working with, around, and for white folks. Because at the end of the day, white people very much have an impact on the the world around us. Yeah. And working with them, you still got to be a little a little cognizant. Nick, you ain't on revolt already, brother. So, but um. See, yeah. that's that again. That whole the idea you can't fire a boss. That shit was so empowering. It felt so good to see how he was trying to reclaim his name when all these articles was coming at Nick Cannon anti-Semitic like Nick Cannon anti-Semitic and it's like the, the- I'll protect Nick Cannon listen let me tell you what I had to tell somebody one time Nick Cannon is a mogul okay Nick Cannon started off of Nickelodeon when he was 15 so like 20 years ago y'all know how many how many um what's some things that y'all would uh hosting jobs he done had America Got Talent the Mad Singer Wildin' Out is history-making, okay? Protect Nick Cannon. You know how many people started back with Kevin Hart, Lil Duval, D-Ray, back when the Wildin' Out first started? He done put on off of Wildin' Out 13, 14 seasons in, still putting on people every day. Like, he is a boss. He married Mariah Carey, who even as a child, I she was the vision of the unattainable black woman because she was light-skinned with the high-pitched voice and she was white-presenting. She had the long, full hair and the beautiful body and the funsel and the honey video, and she was getting it. And then Nick Cannon got her, which made me feel like, dang, anybody could get anything because Nick could get Mariah. And then he divorced her, and then when they had a baby with somebody else, like, and then he kept it moving. He got another like, baby? Nick got another baby by one of the old uh, Wild and Out girls who became a model also. Her name like Jessica something. Okay, Jessica. okay, Nick, I see you. But um, Nick Cannon is a boss. Protect Nick Cannon at all costs. Okay, so I'm with it. You can't fire a boss, but Nick, you did get let go. <sighs> but they, I, I promise you, they find a way to try to humble you. Cause as soon as that came out, all of these apologies because they keep pushing this message that it was anti-Semitic. When I guess, was it, was it not? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about a situation I was recently in. I won't, because of the intimacy of the situation, I will not name names. Ooh. Discretion. I've, I've always been a fan of discretion. Anybody know me know that shit. What I recognize is what you just said, actually. Sometimes things that are intended to be nice can be harmful. 
And so I'm apologizing to those I harmed because I truly harmed you. I'm not apologizing just to be humbled. I'm apologizing because I'm humbled that I might have hurt somebody, right? And I, I pray that Nick is apologizing from that same space um, because somebody might have been hurt, right? So I'm apologizing to God for that person that might have been hurt. I'm not apologizing to, to the internet trolls. <laughs> I'm not apologizing to what you think. I If you weren't really hurt, I'm not even talking to you. I can honor Nick Cannon's apology in that way. You know, if I hurt somebody, I do apologize because that was not my intention. I was really trying to educate my people about what's going on and so that we can uplift ourselves. And if I did hurt you in that in that way, I do apologize. Yeah. And I appreciate this new journey he's going on to learn more about the history and about the shared history. And I look forward to learning with him as he shares. But like you said, you can't fire a boss, but God will humble a boss, too. I mean, I think that Nick Cannon just had to find his own peace in that situation. I think that he was entitled to do so. And he was humbled, perhaps, in his own respect. I know I was in my situation. And so... uh, you trying to get one up on me by humbling me, by saying you got to bow down to me. When, it, when I'm, I'm still looking past you, bro, it's still not even about you. And that's really what a boss move is. You know what I'm saying? So that's my take on it. Yeah, for me, boss moves are not driven by ego. Yeah. So if it's driven by ego, it's not a boss move. Yeah. That's all I have to Hey, you know, give me my give me my quote cred, just like I be telling y'all, give me my photo cred, give me my quote cred. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, speaking of bosses. The boss. <laughs> huh? Who else a boss? Who else you think a boss? <laughs> the, don't be the boss. The honorary. Don't be the boss. The honorary doctor. Don't be the boss. The honorary Dr. Kayo. Don't be the boss. <laughs> Okay, we talking about free black men in America. We wrapping this up, free black men in America living in their truth. We talked about August speaking his truth. We talked about Will Smith standing up for love and demonstrating that in front of everybody. We talked about Nick Cannon speaking his truth, going back, walking it back, um, humbling himself to learn more. Let's talk about my personal rap hero, Kanye West. A few years ago at the MTV Awards, Kanye said that he was going to run for president. So this was a few years ago at the MTV Awards. And now in July 2020, the same month that Heezy said not to come in here clowning, we get the news that the documents were filed that the honorary Dr. Kanye West will be on the presidential ballots in some states. Why is that problematic? Oh, Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. Uh, I mean, why is it problematic? Is it problematic to you, or do you do you agree with the with the actions of the honorable Dr. Kanye Omari West? We tell black children that they can grow up and be anything they want to be, including the president of the United States of America. This is what we tell black children. This is what we tell black boys. That you mm-hmm. can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. You can. So, why is it problematic? And you don't have on a parachute, you're going to die. You can do it. And you can put your mind to it. But if you jump 
and you hit the, and you, you're gonna splat. It's, 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 it's just a fact of the life, right? Kanye, stop jumping out these planes without these parachutes. You can be the president, Kanye, if you have like first like an exploratory committee, and then like you have to go for like a regular primary nomination period. You need to like put out like material and like probably like um a statements about what your platforms are and like go and talk to people and understand what their things are like important to them and and then you probably should pick like an already established political party. You can make your own the birthday party might probably won't work. But like Kanye, like at least be like an independent or like a libertarian Kanye, but like you made the birthday party. Like you just you thought about all this one night and like a vision. Like you got like yo I don't know, like Kanye he just keep jumping. That's why. That's why Kanye cannot run for president because Kanye continues to believe that he can jump out of planes without parachutes and not die. He I think do what. He's just so flighty minded. See, I, I'm with her in a typical Aries Cancer fashion. It's like I'm with you till I'm not. I'm with you till I'm not. I love how you broke it down. Cause yes, Kanye, you're correct. You can. You you can do anything you put your mind to. You can get on a plane. And if you jump out of that plane and you do not have the proper equipment on, you will die. So, yes, you can do all. You can do anything. That's scripture, though. It is. It is scripture. You know, it is scripture. But you also have to do things decently and in order. And that is also scripture. So I, in a thought exercise practice, I enjoy the idea of Kanye running for president. I enjoy the idea of this is a free black man in America who has done everything that people said that he couldn't. Now tell my mama I belong in that slow class. That's a Kanye lyric. As I speak with these educators all the time and I hear them talk about black boys and how black boys are labeled and how black boys have paper trails followed in their entire lives and they become defined by what other people told them, especially because these other people never recognize their brilliance for what it is. Especially him having a mama who was an educator and then dropped out of college. And that was such a defining moment. He named his first album College Dropout. I know what that's like to be like, this is such a defining moment. Defying, which also is is a part of like him being free. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And another part of like you don't have to define yourself by Mm -hmm. these moments. Mm -hmm. But I understand, and as a Kanye stan, which I know at this point I sound like, it's fine. (laughs) I appreciate his journey, his rap journey, his fashion journey, the shoe journey, his journey with his wife. I do appreciate his fashion journey. I appreciate... The terrible, like, slave quarters clothes. So, I don't wear Yeezys, and I don't wear any of his fashion I also never listened to Yeezus, but I appreciate his movement. You know what I'm saying? Like, because as a person who creates, everybody may not be aligned with everything that you create, but it's the point that you created. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate all of the manifestations that have come from his mind. Okay. So now when we get to this point where, you know, a few years ago at the MTV Awards, he said, I'm a rough president and everybody just clap, ha, 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 ha. 
And then 2020, he actually runs for president. And people are like, get out of here. What are you doing? Yeah. It's like, well, first of all, I think that I, if you. 2016, I still, I'm still lost about that one. It was at the MTV Awards. He didn't even that's, perform. I'm applauding that. That's terrible, Kanye. Get off the stage. Get I, off. I, I wanted to see a performance. I did want to see some songs singing. But he definitely said he was going to run for president. So long story short, I appreciate the journey. But I don't know. Like you said, in order for me to be able to voice support for a candidate, I would need to see those things that you laid out so beautifully, like the civics-minded person that you are. I need to know what your platform is. I need to know who you're associated with other than Elon Musk. Like, I need to know... Donald Trump (sighs) and Kim Kardashian West. I don't have a problem with Kim Kardashian West. I I don't with her as a person. I could care less about how she attained her success or or keeps it, because she got it. Once again... She's done this shit. Killers, but... What I'm going to say is Kim Kardashian West is not, like, credible, like, alliances for Kanye West to be, like, out here, like... What about the prison reform? You not impressed with the prison reform work? I'm impressed by the prison reform work. I am. I am impressed that she uses her platform for that. I do appreciate that. See, she is someone who can do both. I think that, like, like, the complexity of people, which is probably another reason I enjoy Kanye is that she, for people who want to, people will see her however they want to see her, which is exactly what they will do to all of us. For people Mm -hmm. who will always see her as Paris Hilton's number two, she will always be that. For people who see her as a hoe who fuck Ray J. That's who she is. Paris Hilton's number two. I've never, ever heard that before. Back in the day. Wow. Yeah, I think she was like her friend or some shit. If people be like, that's Ray J hit it first, she she a hoe, she a porn star, then they gonna see her as that. If they Ray J too, huh? We need to talk about Ray J too. Oh, his yeah, and his toxic masculinity, and and he is the most avoid. Now you talk about Will Smith avoiding his his conversation with his wife when she brought him to whatever their red table talk was was terrible. He fidgeted the first twenty five years of the conversation. Ugh. Yeah, I ain't got no opinions and thoughts on Ray J ass, but. <laughs> So I agree. I enjoy a free black man. I enjoy celebrating black men and their brilliance and how they show up. Black men are so complicated and complex as we all are. But I think that we need to intentionally create space for black men to speak freely. I don't know where that space exists. Clearly, it's not the Internet. Like you said, actually, we do know where that space exists because he's told us where that space exists. It's with your ecosystem, with your therapist. With yeah. your journal, with your prayer life, with yeah. a trusted yeah. parent, yeah. if you have a trusted parent that you can talk to, um, yeah. with a trusted friend, with a trusted mentor. It's not yeah. with the internet. It's not yeah. with the internet trolls. It's not yeah. with all these other people who feel entitled to your life yeah. and your business. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. And even Kanye, the, the thing about it is, is that when we talk about space, like space is both infinite and finite. But, like, space is appropriate, and civics is not the appropriate, like, like place to enter the creative game at. Like, mm-hmm. when we talk about, like, staying in your lane, I mean, we have to recognize that, like, there is a creative space of, like, music and art, and, like, those spaces were created by God even to give us those that freedoms that we need, but, like, the political realm ain't that. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
we can't we can't we can't fake around with that notion and like and ride on that theory because the reality is like policy really has to get moved and like things really have to change in our world politicians really have to have a platform like they have to know their community and know the people that they're serving like it's not just like a, a flighty thought like you say it twice and you out of there i mean we had 20 democratic candidates on on the ballot people who are really thinking about like how they want to move the needle forward in the country and we saw people drop out because it is so grueling just to move just to just to get on the ballot. I mean, we saw Barack Obama's hair literally turn from black to gray in eight years. Like, that's nothing to play around with. And so that's why I'm against Kanye West running for president, because it's not a practical application of moving the needle forward for black culture or even, like, progressive culture, even, like, socialist culture. Like, it's not a progressive move. Like, you can create freedom in your clothing, and you can create freedom in your shoes and in your music, and you can be all these different people across your albums. Like, like know your lane and know, like, what your calling is. Like, like the Bible even talks about that. People still got a lane, but, like, you can be free in that space, but, like, still recognizing where you are most successful and most creative and, and most influential and, like, staying there, I think that that makes more sense to me. So when we talk about really, like, being serious as Kanye West as a presidential candidate, like, it just doesn't make sense in the reality that I live. I agree, and I want to live in the reality that you live in. I know we yeah. talked about this Twilight Zone, but I don't want no more Twilight Zone moments. I can't. We can't afford any more of those. We can't afford any more joke around. Are we serious? Like, we can't afford that. No, we can't afford any more joke around. So as we enter the second half of 2020, let's talk about, like, some of the powerful things that we can influence and can control as we still live in this current reality. Also, hot tea today, we found out that because of COVID, school schedules will be modified in Chicago mm. in the fall. That's what it currently is right now in the middle of July. We'll see in August. We'll see in September what really happens. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, according to Lori, she can do whatever she wants when she wants. So life is fluid. So maybe <laughs> she'll think about something different tomorrow and we'll do that. We'll see what happens. Only the Lord really knows. Only the Lord really knows. So what are your thoughts, though? What are your what is what's your response? What do you think you can do about kind of like this COVID situation and how it's impacting our schools and school communities and our students? I mean, you know, about five years ago, my friends and I started the organization called Power, where we were doing like influential seminars for young people. And that organization has since pretty much become defunct, but still owning those rights. I would like to use its power to influence young people in places they need now post-COVID, which really seems like interactive spaces, like young folks are going to at least be at home two days a week, really with or without parental supervision, because the truth of the matter is, right, when we really talk about parental supervision post-COVID, what does that look like? What does it look like for a, a kindergartner to have to be at home two days a week when when her mom's office job goes back five days a week. Like, how does that really look? And so um, when we talk about now kids rearing themselves in a, in a way, right, being outside of, the, of our old normal of being in front of an adult at every space and every moment of their life and really having a lot more autonomy, a lot more freedom, 
uh, a lot more opportunities for growth within themselves. I really want to um, hopefully give back to these young people in a way that can help them to turn their extra time into some great opportunities for their future or even being more of what I have also become like a catalyst for like network building, like letting people know about the other spaces around our city that are available for them um, to be able to have access to resources. Like I know at St. Sabina, they have a gardening club. I would love to do like some work around like weekend, maybe pop-up shops for young kids around activities, uh, yoga or give them some type of extracurricular training just to be able to uh, turn their extra time into resources for themselves, sewing, cooking. I mean, our young people are going to now be at home cooking for themselves. Let's teach them about what these spices do. Let's teach them. It's more than just salt and pepper out there. Like, you can you can actually cook without salt or pepper if you know how to use spices correctly. Like, I learned that off the Food Network, low-key, though. Like, so... <laughs> Like, and, 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 and allowing our young people to see, like, the life outside of their old normal. And helping them shape their new normal, right? Like, I think now even us, like, now that us adults are even more grounded, we have to now be more intentional about helping our young people also be grounded in, our, in all of our new normals. But because as adults, we can cut our emotions on and off differently and process them differently. We have to be more responsible to make sure they're okay. It's not just shoving them at the computer no more. Like We already talked about this whole computer culture of us being in our phones and in our iPads and in our tablets, like one device behind the other, really. Um, and so now they're going to be, they have to be there. So what does less screen time look like for our young people now? How do we get them physically active? I mean, in, in so many different ways. So hopefully we can come up with something. What you got about that? Well, I know before you mentioned the idea of like creating a service project yeah. to start to bring together some networks and develop some more networks. So if you are thinking about doing some of these pop-up shops or partnering with some of the organizations that are already doing the work to create these like community classrooms since the school yeah. buildings are not as accessible, if we do need to just do something in a park or do something at an abandoned space, um, yeah. I am willing to help you do that as whatever you need from me. But staying in my lane, I want to offer um, podcasting services. So like... If you wanted to do like a power podcast that was driven by some students or some young people, I'm happy yeah. to help train them and help them produce that show so that, Not yeah, so that you can document it and, you know, with the journey. Because right. it's so important to organize. It's or again. You should have to start their own podcast because podcasts are, are, I mean, I don't know how to do them. I don't know, like, but I mean, I'm assuming that, like, at the very least, you can record yourself and upload videos to YouTube. So it can't, and, and kids are probably already know all this stuff anyway. But exactly. Like y'all also could do this amongst y'all selves. Make your own podcast. And monetize it because they do do it. They like the skills that, that students have and that young people have. They're so intuitive with these graphics and being yeah. like visual storytellers. There are stories to be told. So we should respond to this um, this COVID change. Whatever we have to do to modify, because the buildings change doesn't mean that students stop learning. You know and what I mean? 
both monetized and shared among the community. Like, mm-hmm. teach, now go teach your friends how to start their podcast or how to do, just how to get something else under their belt, you know? Share it with your network as well and let's create, like, a network of, like, us helping each other. My sister started, like, a family-type podcast where she's interviewing our family members so that we won't lose the knowledge that exists. Like going back to Nick Cannon and talking about having access to wrong information. Mm -hmm. Like we can help young people start to connect with their family members and document these stories for their own lineage and for their own people, for their own household. So there's lots of ways that we can support students and families during this time. Yeah. I'm definitely down for that. Let's, and then, you know, we have a lot. I just literally thought about one person I know who had like a who has like a writing workshop uh, organization. So I would definitely reach out to that person at some point when we start getting this. We're going to talk about like Morgan Park Networks and the infamous U of I Network. The infamous U of I Network. Listen, I'm healed and I can tell my story without besmirching nobody's name. Because that's the difference. Yeah. So... Thank you for joining me on this episode as we exit cancer season and make prayers. Sad are you? How, like, like, tell me, like, how sad have you been in the? I mean, because we have like four days left, so what has that felt like for you? Lucky for me, July was so July was such a circus that I did not have time to sit in the the aura that is cancer season, like. July usurped y'all. Shout out to August. He kicked it off. August in July usurped cancer season. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, but cancer season is still the best season. So shout out to us. Thank y'all for another great cancer season. Shout <laughs> out cancer season 2020 as another successful one in the books. Huh. Well, lead us out in prayer. You, We entered with uh, a prayer into the season. So as we close out this episode, um, please close us out in prayer for wishes for power, love, and light, and unity, and justice, and equity, and understanding that it is not black versus white. It is right versus wrong, and we have more power together then we do separate it. So please close us out in prayer. For another great episode, um, I look forward to officially being called a guest co-host, but I'll just not uh, really put that out there too far. All right, let us pray. (laughs) Great God, you are the creator of all. You see all, you know all, you feel all. You know us when you created us in our various forms, and you have blessed each one of us as your child. So we ask God, first and foremost, that you help us to recognize the greatness in each other. You help us to recognize the freedom in each other. You help us to recognize the light in one another. You help us to stop spreading hate and disastrous speech about one another or how anyone chooses to live their life. But help us to love one another even more as you have commanded us, God. And we also ask that as you continue to lead us throughout this calendar year, that you protect us from all things that might come against us to harm us. We recognize that there are politicians out there who don't care about our health and our safety. We recognize that there are people out there that aren't mindful of the requirements that we need to stay safe. So 
We ask that you put a hedge of protection around us like no one else can so that we can be safe and protected in these moments to come. We thank you for a great cancer season. We thank you for some great conversation about some great creatives who have ended up in various spaces that even allow us to open our minds to see more of each other and more of you. And we ask that as we continue in this year, you go before us to guide us, you go behind us to hold us up, you go under us to make sure that we are stable, you go over us to cover us until we meet again. In your precious son, Jesus' name, who was black. Amen. In black Jesus' name. Amen. All right, superstars, we are all out of time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe, share, review the episodes, tag a friend, talk to me. Visit DanielleMoneyHound.com and follow me on social media to stay connected. Your support means the world to me. So thank you for helping my dreams come true. A major lesson that I learned, that I continue to learn, is that although you will experience dark moments in your journey, you can be the light. You have more power than you know. Until we meet again, shine bright.